Pena. We are getting over, and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times. Dada, with episode 222. Yes, 22 twos here, on a mission doing my best Jay-Z rendition of your favorite professional wrestling podcast. That's right, Getting Over is back once again, and we have an odd week, really an odd two weeks here of professional wrestling. Schedules have been shifted around due to the MLB playoffs and the debut of the NHL on TNT, so things are all messed up. Today's show, this is what you're going to get. We're talking NXT, and we are talking AEW Rampage from last week. There was no Dynamite, and we do have an altered schedule as things are bubbling up over the next week and a half, uh, just to kind of give you guys a perspective to lay down the schedule for you so you know what's to come here on your favorite wrestling show. We will be back on Tuesday talking WWE Crown Jewel, that Blood Money in the Sand 6 Ultimate Preview. On Wednesday, we'll come back, we'll talk Dynamite, Rampage, and NXT all on one show. That's going to get published at some point Wednesday afternoon. And then Thursday, we will have that WWE Crown Jewel instant analysis for you. So I know it's waiting a little bit longer than you'd normally want to for that AEW Dynamite breakdown, but with the show being on Saturday night, football being all weekend, and then Raw being on Monday, with there being a major WWE event next week, there's really just no other choice. Uh, So like I said, we're talking NXT, we're talking AEW Rampage today, and we'll also discuss uh, Tony Khan's outburst, I guess we can say, at WWE Uh, for what they're doing with SmackDown on FS1 Friday night. A lot more happened after the conclusion of Tuesday's WWE show, so there is plenty more to talk about. Uh, The Silver King is indeed riding solo today. It should be a very quick show. So let me tell you, off the top, let me remind you that getting over is all about Defy. So please, folks, do not forget. Stop being marks for yourselves and... Go back to being a mark for me. Go back to being marks for your favorite wrestling podcast. Head on over to Apple Podcasts. Drop those five-star ratings and reviews. Let us know how much you love the show, why you love the show, and tell other people why they should subscribe and listen to Getting Over. I would greatly appreciate you taking 30 to 90 seconds out of your day and doing that. And also, please do not forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. So yes, with all of that out of the way, uh, let's get into the show. And normally we would start off by talking about AEW. That is not going to be the case today because really not that much happened on Rampage. So we're going to start with NXT, but as always, let me give you a reminder. On these episodes and every episode, we have segments scheduled in our episode descriptions. So you have timestamps, you can jump around, you can go back and forth. Why you would do that, I legitimately have no idea. Uh, But if you're someone who only watches NXT, or only watches AEW, you can hop to the brand that you want to hear. I also, by the way, at the end of the show, I'm going to talk MLW Fightland a little bit, just because I did watch that last week, and I did forget to mention it on the WWE show. But let's get started with NXT, and I thought Tuesday's show was easily the best edition of NXT in this new era, this colorful, youth-focused era of NXT. They continue to follow the original requests I made on this show after the first two episodes and are just doing less. It's less car crash television. We got seven matches, including two bigger ones that opened and closed the show. 
That's greatly reduced from, I think, 10 or 11 that they did the first week. And that matters because those matches get a little bit more time. Most things, but certainly not everything, got a chance to make an impact on NXT. And they greatly reduced the overall number of people we saw on television, which is also important to give people more focus. Some of these new talents, if you're if they're on the screen for 30 seconds, it doesn't do anything. If you get them on the screen, undivided attention for four to five minutes, that's where you can start building some interest and excitement in these younger people. Overall though, like I said, top to bottom, the best representation of what this return to de- developmental NXT should be across the board. This was very similar to the old NXTs that we got on WWE Network, where in those shows, there would be one main event and three, you could call them squash matches, you could call them feature matches, whatever you want for younger talent with veterans. That's what this show was, except instead of it being a four-match show, it was a seven or eight-match show, this case, a seven-match show. And because of that, I thought it was done exceedingly well. So let's start with the main event, and then we'll basically, after that, go through the show in order. The main event was big. The North American Championship was on the line, Isaiah Swerve Scott against Santos Escobar. NXT opened with a well-done clip of Legado del Fantasma jumping and abducting Top Dollar and B-Fab with Ashanti the Adonis nowhere to be found. And they never really explained why he wasn't there. They just said he's not picking up his phone. So why wasn't he there? Maybe it was a storyline device. That way, how, how can Legato abduct three people? It makes sense that they can abduct two. But at the same time, Ashanti just left his faction high and dry. So what's happening there? Like, is he going to show up on SmackDown with them? Or is he not going to be part of the group anymore? That Some of that stuff really concerns me. But my presumption seeing all that was that they were setting up an interference finish for a title change. That was what was in my head. You have fewer people. Um, One guy has a faction. The other one doesn't on his back. Obviously, the challenger is going to win the title. They literally just did this booking with Roderick Strong and Diamond Mine against Kushida. So I assume that's what they were doing. It's not what they did. And that's very interesting. Uh, Later backstage, Swerve said Escobar screwed up by bringing out his dark side and he was taking the North American title to SmackDown. Escobar later promised Swerve that Legato would stay in the locker room and it would truly be a one-on-one match. So the bell rang in the main event. Swerve attacked. There was like, by the way, 15 minutes left in the show. And with that said, I figured there would be an overrun as well. So I figured we had 22 minutes left when the bell rang here. And I was excited that we were going to basically get a 20-minute main event on this new NXT. Again, expectation versus reality. That's not actually what we got. But Swerve attacked before the bell and as retribution for the abduction earlier. He had a moonsault over the ropes outside. Escobar came back with a huge tope suicida, throwing Swerve over the announce table, and then a really nice spinebuster inside the ring. Escobar countered Swerve's rolling flatliner with a regular one. He added a not-great frog splash for a 2.8 count. Swerve picked Escobar off the top rope for a Death Valley driver on the ring apron, but Escobar countered the 450 splash with double knees for another 2.8 count. And the crowd was easily the loudest it has been since the start of the new era in NXT. People were actively cheering and really, really excited for this match as it was unfolding in front of them. Legato tried to distract, but Carmelo Hayes and Trick Williams ran down to even out the odds for a swerve, which was strange as a viewer, given their heels. Why would they be helping the face? Swerve dropped Escobar onto an exposed turnbuckle, and then he hit the JML driver for what can only be described as a surprise win. I mean, it's not a surprise 
that Swerve would beat Escobar in any other scenario, but given the guy's already been drafted to SmackDown, it made for a pretty good surprise that he actually won. It was an 11-minute match. It was honestly fantastic. It should have gone longer. I guess NXT didn't get its overrun this week due to that new Chucky show debuting, and it seems like they're going to run them back-to-back, so maybe the overrun is a thing of the past. But knowing that, start the match earlier. Do one of the, uh, you know, one fewer feature match or one less squash and ensure these guys get them individually, Swerve and Escobar, ensure they get a full 15, 16 minutes in the ring. Cutting it at 11, you're literally just hurting your own product. It's a really damn good wrestling match. It should have gone longer. Um, Nevertheless, despite all of that, I went 3.75 stars and a B plus. I know that may be me slightly overrating it, but you guys know, listeners of this show, you guys know I love Swerve. You know I love Santos Escobar. I'm willing to admit when I might have a little bit of bias giving a grade to a match, unlike a certain someone with the Young Bucks. But this to me was great. It was exciting. It was a thrill ride. It was never really slow, except for when they went to commercial and they did picture in picture. With more time, this easily could have been a four-star match given the rate they were working. They just didn't get the opportunity to do it. So Swerve is celebrating his title win. Carmelo and Trick jump in the ring. Carmelo raises his arm, and then he shocks everyone by hitting a lariat and just taking Swerve out. Then he cashes in the NXT breakout tournament contract, which to my knowledge, at least, is not supposed to be like money in the bank where you can just surprise someone without their permission. Then again, this contract has only happened twice. It's only been in existence twice in NXT, and they did make Melo open it up and sign it on the spot and hand it to the referee So it was not just a, you know, quick decision where he threw the contract and they they rang the bell. So for those reasons, I'm willing to accept it, although it wasn't the smoothest that it could have been. They could could have at least established this last week that Melo can cash it in at any time. That would have helped. Um, So we ended up getting a North American championship match. Swerve versus Carmelo Hayes. The bell rang. Carmelo hit a springboard splash on Swerve for a 2.5 count. The whole crowd was legitimately standing that it was so excited. Carmelo came back with a huge pump kick and a flying axe kick to the back of Swerve's head for the 1-2-3 to win the North American title. This was such a nice surprise and a great Swerve, no pun intended. Part of me wishes Swerve put over Escobar because Escobar actually looks a tad weak, losing clean to a guy who's leaving. But if they're going to elevate Santos to the main event scene, which... Looking at the way NXT's formatted right now, roster-wise, he really should be in the main event scene. Then I'm okay with them doing it this way. Also, fans knew Swerve is leaving for SmackDown. So the expectation is that he's going to lose the title to Escobar. So curbing our expectation, and I say this when it comes to WWE, NXT, AEW, it's almost always a good thing. You you expect, you know something's going to happen, it doesn't, and then you get something just as good, if not better, on the back end. That's always a rewarding experience as a television viewer. So overall, like I said again, I wish Swerve and Escobar got more time like it deserved, but the crowd was on absolute fire for that match and for what followed. They wanted to give us something unique to get excited about the new talent. They pulled it off. I love the way they're strapping the rocket to Melo because he's definitely the real deal. Carmelo Hayes has it. And let's move on to the rest of NXT. We had Tommaso Ciampa against Joe Gacy in a non-title match. This opened the show. 
Gacy did his creepy promo saying he represented snowflakes while calling Champa an example of toxic masculinity and privilege. The guy definitely has something, Joe Gacy. I'm not sure what it is. He has it though. Um, definitely some charisma. I don't know if this will be the gimmick that works for him. Something eventually will work for him. Harland was shown watching the whole deal go on from the crowd. Champa dominated. Gacy hit a Uranagi for a near fall and a senton on the ring apron. Champa went on his barrage of forearms, but Gacy came back with a gut wrench powerbomb before missing a moonsault. Champa hit a basement dropkick as Gacy went for his handspring move and added fairytale ending for the one, two, three in 10 minutes. After the match, Harlan left the crowd and crushed Champa. He started choking Gacy until Gacy pet his face with the side of his hand, leading Harlan to just like run away. It was very funny. It was something like you'd see out of a movie. Uh, Gacy then tried to hug Champa, but got shoved to the ground as one would do after they just get attacked. This was a perfect NXT TV match and what NXT should be striving for in the new era. The veteran put the younger guy to work, the match got plenty of time, and the vet ultimately won. No grade here, but I enjoyed the booking as this really resembled that old NXT that we were talking about. That again, let's not forget, fans said they wanted, they were nostalgic for it. You're getting it. Is there a different coat of paint on it? Absolutely, but you're getting the booking and you're getting the storytelling that we used to get back on the WWE Network. Champa was cutting a promo later about his match with Braun Breaker when Grizzled Young Veterans got in his face and said he would drop the title to Braun. Braun stepped up to have Champa's back, saying that he'd keep that promise all the way until Halloween Havoc because he wants to beat him at his best. It was another good look for Braun. He just really doesn't miss. They seem to be booking him extremely well. Toxic Attraction did their triple promo thing where they all say something, but none of it's really that impactful. And they said they were left unsatisfied, not taking the champions out for good and wanted all the women's titles at Halloween Havoc. Mandy Rose then said they'd make history and it didn't matter what hair color she had because she was the baddest bitch in the game. I'm not sure why her hair color would matter. And I don't think anyone brought it up as being a reason that she wouldn't be good anymore. Uh, She wasn't that good as a blonde. Uh, you know, in terms of success in WWE kayfabe. So I don't know what the difference is with her being a brunette now. Uh, Anyway, this was just okay. It didn't accomplish anything other than Mandy's challenge being official. They're really missing the mark with some of these toxic attraction promos. None of them are great on the mic. Gigi Dolan is the best of the three, but Mandy Rose and JC Jan are just not great promo givers. So having all three of them talk every single time, it's just not going to work long-term. Uh, Raquel Gonzalez later accepted Mandy's challenge in a taped promo, upping the ante by daring her to spin the spin the wheel, make a deal, uh, you know, wheel, and get a stipulation match at Halloween Havoc. I just messed myself up there a lot. Uh, but I love that they're bringing that stipulation back because it was a lot of fun last year. This promo is what I always criticize AEW about. How did they have this in the can when Gonzalez never could have known exactly what Mandy was going to say before she said it live on television. It's not like she saw Mandy's script and then pre-cut a promo to respond to it, right? It'd be one thing if she was live backstage being interviewed. Hey, what'd you think of what Mandy just said? And then she said it, okay, that works. But when it's a taped promo, it, it it's, it's, impo- it's infuriating. It doesn't make any sense. It's a continuity issue. AEW does it on every single show. WWE actually usually does not do it despite all of their other continuity issues but they did it here. Uh, that aside, look, this this feud, it's been set up nicely. Uh, if Mandy beats Raquel Gonzalez, which I expect she's going to because she has the numbers advantage, it's going to be slightly depressing for me, especially if Raquel's not getting called up. 
but we're just going to have to see it all play out at Halloween Havoc. We had Indy Hartwell and Persia Parada against Saray and Amari Miller. Saray being thrown into this match was super strange given her pedigree, her talent. She is way better than being on a jobber team like this. But the one thing I will say is she barely factored into the match. So they really made this more about Indy and Persia and they had Amari Miller take the fall. Still, it was weird for her to be in it at all. Uh, Parada got time to work. Hartwell blind tagged in for a springboard elbow drop on Miller for the win. The Aussies then challenged for the women's tag team titles, bringing out Io Shirai, who did a funny rant in Japanese alongside Zoe Stark. Then Toxic Attraction came out to challenge and all six women brawled with the champion standing tall. There's really nothing about this, but we are headed for a triple threat match at Halloween Havoc. They have a short time to build that. It made sense why they did it all so quickly. This is the one title match on that show where I would be okay if the titles changed hands. As tag team champions, Io Shirai and Zoe Stark, they're just not working. It felt forced that WWE needed to change the titles and wanted to give Io Shirai something to do and reward Zoe Stark. That's all nice and it's understandable, but you actually have women's tag teams on the brand, use them. It's the whole point. Uh, by the way, I was shocked the KCs were not called up in the WWE draft. I remain so surprised that they are not on the main roster. Uh, there was a promo for Halloween Havoc where someone was stomping a shovel into the ground saying they will bury their past so they can start again. The voice was distorted and I think the promo was made to have it appear to be a man. But I'm going to do a spoiler alert so you can hit the 30 second skip if you want. So spoiler alert, it sure as hell sounded to me like Dakota Kai. I like the idea of repackaging her a bit given she hasn't been on TV in a while, but she really also should have been called up to the main roster. I don't know why she is still in NXT. We had Zion Quinn against Malik Blade. Quinn kicked out after a missile dropkick, then caught Blade for a lifting spinebuster and finished him with a running forearm, which is a terrible finishing move for a guy with his size and his strength. Tim and Karrion Cross both doing different running forearms is, it's maddening when they're so strong and big, they should be absolutely physically dominating people. Uh, it was a basic wrestling match that lasted three minutes. No real takeaways other than Quinn has a great look. He resembles a Mortal Kombat character. And both of them, Zion Quinn and Malik Blade, have Mortal Kombat names, which I found to be interesting. Uh, we had Ivy Nile against Valentina Feroz. This was Ivy's debut match. She caught Feroz and hit a vertical suplex from like an inverted position, which I think was a mistake. But whether it was or not, it was super impressive that she pulled it off strength-wise. Nile then put Feroz in an inverted fireman's carry and bent her in half with like a torture rack kind of move for a submission in three minutes. Um, the one thing I did have that was an issue here is Feroz did not tap quick enough. Uh, Ivy's strong. You're trying to get her over. She's bending her in half and like then eventually you just tap. No, you tap right away because she's trying to break your spine. So I didn't like that. Uh, Malcolm Bivens put Ivy over after the match with her Pitbull nickname. Then he talked about how the Creed brothers are gym rats and Roderick Strong is the best in NXT. That let out Ikemen Hero, uh, who interrupted before Strong could speak. And then Julius Creed just stepped to him. So we got Jiro against Julius. Creed dominated with suplexes. Jiro did a really cool handstand splash on the top rope before hitting a springboard moonsault outside. Creed caught Jiro flying inside and finished him with a basement lariat for his first singles win. Diamond Mind attacked after, so Kushida made the save, but stopped himself from hitting Ivy as they both ended up flattened. They both, meaning Jiro and uh, Kushida, they got flattened by Diamond Mind. I didn't mind Ivy's match being short, given she's basically as green as grass in the ring. She does look like a total badass, though, and a year from now, I would not be surprised if she is a star in NXT 
she does, like Carmelo Hayes early on, appear to have. And we already know that the Creed brothers have. And Jiro has a different kind of. But they all have some version of it. We've already discussed the Creed brothers being awesome, of course, and Julius was no different on his own in a singles match. Kushida and Jiro working together seems a little forced, you know, but overall, uh, these segments back-to-back, they did showcase Diamond Mine exceptionally well. We got lashing out with Lash Legend. She told Tony D'Angelo, forget about it if he wants to be on our show. This was the same kind of deal as last week. It's just not for me. Maybe it's personally because I hate Wendy Williams and the stupid shit that she says on her show so much that when I see something kind of taking off on that, right, as a wrestling gimmick that I'm just turned off from the beginning. But I just, this isn't for me. Uh, And that's okay. Not everything can be for me. D'Angelo was uh, standing in front of a Mercedes later and he cut a promo saying that Lash Legends producer said there was a scheduling conflict and that's why he couldn't be on the show. So then he walks away from the Mercedes and we see the trunk rattling and someone screaming from inside. Um, I wanted to hate it. I loved it. It was really funny. Sorry. Uh, Kyle O'Reilly and Von Wagner fought Ridge Holland and Pete Dunne in a tag team match. There was a bit of a brawl outside the ring, including steel steps. Wagner got the hot tag and battled Holland as O'Reilly took Dunne out at ringside. Wagner then straight up beat Ridge Holland clean with a double underhook twisting suplex for the win. O'Reilly acted super impressed with the rookie and even fist bumped him after. It was to the extent that it certainly seems like a real tag team is being formed here. Without O'Reilly having anything to do, it's probably a good enough idea. O'Reilly has really struggled since the end of Undisputed Era in a singles role. Obviously, they never put the title on him. I believe his contract is expiring uh, in December or January or something like that. Maybe he's resigned, maybe he hasn't. Uh, but this is all probably just biding time to find out whether he's going to stay there or not. Andre Chase was back in class, showing how he screwed Odyssey Jones last week. This time, Steve was already out of the class, so Brandon asked uh, if he cheated to win, then why is he so happy with it? Why is he so impressed and and wanting to show it off? So Chase cursed his ass off again and kicked him out of class. I didn't like this the first time, Um, but I've actually come around to it. It's pretty funny, and Chase is playing it exceptionally well. The idea, you know, it's it's not that it's never been done before. You know, we saw Dean Douglas and we saw Matt Stryker. You know, this just, it feels a little bit different, maybe because of the level of aggressiveness and the cursing. I know cursing is a cheap pop frequently. Uh, I, you watch any AEW show, the number of times they say bitch and shit and asshole and things like that. Um, you know, it's it's to pop the crowd. But you never see the F word ever, really. And them bleeping out the F word, it's kind of unique and different. You know, maybe it's working on me. Maybe it is popping me and I'm, I'm being critical of the normal practice yet being popped by it. But I think the, the general, like even the WWE main roster, all the women's wrestlers, like emphatically ending a statement with bitch just to pop the crowd. It's really tiresome. But there's something about this that it doesn't, not something that it feels fresh. It's just entertaining and it's unique and it's different. Something we don't see on WWE TV. Uh, we had Duke Hudson against Grayson Waller in the national championship for potentially worst gimmicks in the NXT 2.0 era. Damn, I said 2.0. I said I wouldn't say that. Uh, Hudson dominated early. Waller ran in with his rolling cutter for a near fall. Hudson then kicked the ropes as Waller was going for a springboard move and folded him over with a handful of tights for the win. This did not work for me at all. 
I'm not a fan of either of their gimmicks. Um, the stuff with Duke Hudson being a poker player, it's what, 2004, 2006? Uh, it's 2021, so it's 15 years too late. Grayson Waller, they did a vignette for him. It didn't help with the confusion between the boxing and the basketball thing. Like he dresses like a boxer, but he does basketball moves in the ring. Pick one. Uh, I don't think either of them is a good gimmick, but pick one, not both. Both of these are talented guys. We were impressed by Duke Hudson in that NXT breakout tournament. Thought he had a lot of spunk. Grayson Waller, obviously athletic, has a great look. Definitely going to have a future in WWE. Neither of these gimmicks are working right now. Later in the show, Cameron Grimes was impressed at how easily Waller picked up women. So Waller showed him his cell phone and introduced him to dating apps. It was kind of a decent backstage interaction. Don't exactly know where it's going. And then we had two more things here. Imperium cut a promo, I think in German and Italian, about MSK being a disgrace to the tag team division and them wanting to take out the champions and bring wrestling back to tag team wrestling. Uh, Expected coming out of last week's confrontation. Nothing special by any means. Lastly, here for NXT, there was also a vignette for Solo Sikoa, talking about being abandoned at 15 and becoming a street champion on the islands. It was a cool-ass video that made him seem like a total badass right off the bat. The WWE main roster needs to do more of this type of stuff. But I will say, Solo Sikoa was not abandoned at 15, and he's not coming off the streets. Why? Because it's Sefa Fatu, the third and youngest Uso brother. Um, So, you know, I think anyone who sees him and knows that already knows the gimmick is a bunch of BS, right? But even if this is his name now, if they ever decide to bring him up with the Usos, add him to the bloodline, whatever the case, it's an easy change that they can make. You basically just reintroduce him on the main roster. But I am really excited that another member of the Fatu family is in WWE. Really, there's one left right now, Jacob Fatu. Uh, I don't know why I'm saying Fatu, like they're French. Jacob Fatu um, over in MLW. He's the missing link. I don't know if WWE's ever going to sign him. But man, if they did, they'd really truly have the entire dynasty under one roof. So that was NXT this week. Like I said, uh, a good show. It was the best representation of this new NXT. We will see if that continues. Halloween Havoc being a couple weeks away is obviously exciting. If they can deliver for Halloween Havoc, that could be the jolt they need to tell people, hey, you checked us out at the beginning. Maybe it was a little sloppy. We've come together. We've coalesced a little bit. Now we have a really entertaining TV product for you. They have two weeks to make that happen. So with that, let's move over to AEW Rampage. We had CM Punk against Daniel Garcia. The referee got distracted as Punk was pulled into the post for a groin and a knee shot. Much of the match was really slow and technical with Punk selling almost the entire time. Punk hit the Pepsi twist for a near fall and Garcia did a really cool counter into a sharpshooter. Garcia collided with both 2.0 members who gathered so Punk could splash them off the top rope outside. Punk added a springboard clothesline and a pile driver plus the Anaconda device for the submission win. Good match, a rare case where I'll say it was probably five minutes longer than it needed to be. Uh, Punk should beat Daniel Garcia pretty easily. I don't care that you're trying to build Garcia up as this young, talented dude. Your roster's so stacked and Punk is so far advanced of Garcia that this did not need to go. I don't know how long it went. If it went 17, it should have gone 12. That's all I'm saying. Uh, But it was Rampage, not Dynamite, so that's okay. 3.25 stars and a B from me. Uh, We had a tag team championship match. Lucha Bros against the acclaimed Anthony Bowens caught Ray Phoenix on a tope suicida with a boombox to the face. Phoenix had a rolling cutter on Bowens for a near fall. And then a really choreographed double back handspring cutter 
Pentagon hit his double stomp to the taint before the Lucha Bros added Fear Factor for the win. There was some good wrestling here, nothing too special. It certainly didn't feel like a title match, though it's not like the acclaimed were built up as challengers. No grade here, but there were some nice spots that definitely excited the crowd. We had Jade Cargill against Sky Blue. Cargill looked super impressive, winning in a squash with a glam slam. Thunder Rosa saved a post-match beatdown by running out with a chair. That was really it. I don't have much more to say. I think Jade Cargill is probably the favorite to be that first TBS champion. They probably need to put the title on her. That way they can keep her separated from the main title and from Britt Baker, because apparently they maybe feel she's still a little bit too green to go up there. And obviously that would also be a heel versus heel dynamic, which is always difficult. So I like the idea, which I'm kind of bringing up myself, of Jade winning that TBS championship at the end of that tournament. Uh, We had an FTW championship match. Ricky Starks defending against Brian Cage in a Philadelphia street fight. Starks hit a cool tornado DDT off the ropes. After a long commercial, he hit a leg drop with a garbage can lid, but Cage smashed him in the head with the can and then hit a pump handle inverted Falcon Arrow for a near fall. Hook and Powerhouse Hobbs came down to help and Starks speared Cage, but only for a near fall. Cage ran Starks into a chair propped up in the corner, then hit a discus lariat, but Hobbs broke the fall. Hook hit a low blow as Starks blatantly bladed in the ring and then Starks hit a Rochambeau for the win. There was nothing wrong with this, but it never hooked me, no pun intended. All of the hardcore stuff never really seemed to land exceptionally strong. Both of these guys seemed like wrestlers who were told they needed to be in a hardcore match, but didn't want to be in a hardcore match. And I don't really fault them for that. It's more of a booking thing. I don't know that this needed to be a hardcore match, though obviously they wanted the interference distraction finish. The wrestling parts from Starks and Cage were much better than the street fight aspects. And the excessive interference, while expected, it did take away from the finish. I also thought to myself while watching, why does Cage even want the FTW title anymore? He was kicked out of Team Taz. The FTW title represents Taz and that group. It really hasn't been established as anything other than a Team Taz title in AEW. So why does Cage want it? Shouldn't he really be focused on the TNT title and the AEW championship. That's at least what I would think. Uh, I could see him wanting to fight Starks and wanting to fight Team Taz, just not for the title, but I digress. I'd like to see everyone move on now after this because I'm not sure what's left for either side to gain. There was also a weird backstage segment with Matt Seidel, Leo Rush, and Dante Martin, with the result being Leo promising Seidel he could get a match with CM Punk next week, and they did set the match. Seidel acted like that was an otherwise impossible move and Leo Rush pulled off the impossible by getting him a match with CM Punk when CM Punk literally just fought Daniel Garcia on the same show. I chalk it up to Seidel just not being a good promo. I don't really think it was AEW's fault. So that was Rampage. Obviously, it's a one-hour show. Not that much happened on it. Uh, Let me wrap up. I'll talk about this Tony Khan AEW SmackDown thing, and then we'll do a MLW right before we get out of here. Regarding Tony Khan, so he really puffed his chest out Uh, early Tuesday when we were taping the WWE show about WWE doing the extra half hour on FS1. And now, ever since that, he actually did that over the weekend, those things he said. He's really gotten all up in his feelings about it. Not only did he decide to put a buy-in YouTube show together for Rampage on a Friday night, he is putting Brian Danielson versus Minoru Suzuki on the card. First of all, before we get to like the criticisms that you know I'm gonna have here. Guys, that was bad. I am totally doing I'm, I'm with the smoke, right? Fist me, boy. 
I mean, that is exciting as all hell. Like Daniel Bryan, Bryan Danielson, I'm sorry, Minoru Suzuki, I badly want to see that match. Good job by Tony Khan. But for all the AEW only fans out there who cry about counter-programming and hotshot booking, I mean, there's maybe never been a better example of both of those things simultaneously in AEW history. Tony is so bothered by WWE doing 30 extra minutes commercial free on FS1 during the MLB playoffs that he has basically thrown a hissy fit here to anyone who will listen. He did it on a major podcast. He did an interview with the New York Post where he's crying about it. Look, I said earlier this week, the dude is a billionaire. He can do whatever the hell he wants. But what he's losing is that high ground he so desperately seeks by continuing to, for lack of a better term, punch up at WWE. He's showing some insecurity here. And the stance he's taking is ridiculous that he's so offended by WWE doing a commercial-free half hour when AEW literally did commercial-free half hours of main event matches at 8 p.m. sharp to compete directly with NXT inside of the last you know year. If WWE didn't act always like a heel promotion, which it totally does and totally is, by the way, then AEW would naturally lose a lot of that high ground that it and Tony Khan love to stand on. But given all the shit that WWE pulls from talent releases to the Saudi Arabia deal to the frequently terrible booking, especially now with the women's division, the rematches, all that stuff, they're never going to not be the heel promotion. The organization would need a total rebrand with new leadership. And we all know that's not coming. You have to remember during the WWE-WCW war for a while, WCW was viewed as the face. And that actually changed because WWE, because they were losing, became the underdog and started doing really fun things. We had Steve Austin, we had D-Generation X, all that type of stuff. You guys know the Attitude Era, but they put all that together and suddenly they gained that fan momentum because the fans were not just rooting for what was happening on TV, they were rooting for WWE against AEW. That's not gonna happen in 2021 or 2022, the way WWE is acting, the way they run their business. I'm not saying they're all bad. They're not a totally evil corporation like you would see in Mr. Robot or that exists you know, legitimately in the United States and around the world. But they're also not a face organization. They're not the good guys. They're not Robin Hood out here, you know? Um, they are. They do a lot of things that are heelish and fans don't like. And AEW needs to be really careful. Tony Khan needs to be really careful not to cede that ground to WWE because it's the only thing that, not the only thing, it's one of many things, I'm sorry, that AEW has going for it. It's the face. And Tony being so butthurt and insecure and irked and bothered by something that's pretty benign and is not that strange that WWE did, it's kind of showing some stuff about him. And he needs to be careful that this does not become a normal thing. He may think what he's doing is rallying the troops for AEW. But again, I talked about this with Chris on Tuesday's show. He knows how Nielsen ratings work. And Nielsen ratings, by the way, are getting phased out because they're so archaic. But it's a representative sample. People are not just going to like sit home on Friday at 10 and flip over maybe from Becky Lynch, Sasha Banks commercial free for 30 minutes to go 
watch Rampage. Now, is the buy-in going to set a record? Maybe. I mean, maybe Tony Khan gets something he can tweet about saying it was the most watched buy-in in history. Take that SmackDown, but like it's a YouTube show. And I can't wait for Brian Danielson versus Minoru Suzuki. You know when I'm going to watch that match? Like Monday afternoon, like on my lunch break or something like that. I'm certainly not going to be watching it Saturday. And you know what else? You know what else? I'm not going to be watching Saturday. Rampage, and it has nothing to do with me like picking a side. It's I got work Saturday and Sunday. I work in football, and I barely was fitting in SmackDown and Rampage back to back three full hours on Friday night. Now I have SmackDown going two and a half hours. I just want to get to bed. I don't want to watch an hour of Rampage. Maybe, maybe I watch it in bed and take notes on my phone. And because I'll be able to fast forward through the commercials and anything that seems pretty boring, which that Ruby Soho bunny match, unfortunately, seems boring. I hope they get plenty of time. I hope it's great. And I will watch it. I'm just saying it doesn't seem like it's that like interesting. Um, So maybe I'll do that. Maybe I will ultimately fit it in. But I'll tell you, if circumstances were normal, I probably wouldn't. But it is now incumbent upon them to put on a damn good show because Tony is really spouting his mouth off about this entire thing. That's his prerogative. Again, he can do whatever he wants. He has the money to do whatever he wants. I think this was some legitimate constructive criticism that it wouldn't be bad for him to maybe listen to. And lastly here, before we get out, I did want to give some quick thoughts on that MLW Fightland show on Vice. Look, I watched it. Um, I'm not trying to be mean, okay? It's not good. Uh, The matches were okay, the thing that ruined it for me was they tried to do something unique and different and I credit them for trying to be special and and a different type of show. And in the middle of the show, they ran this like journalist round table uh, where they had incredibly canned questions and responses and topics about everyone but MLW. They were talking WWE, talking AEW, et cetera. It was actually difficult to watch. It was so bad. And it was bad beyond even like, well, I don't even remember the show on WWE Network, like Take It to the Table or Get on the Table or whatever the hell that show was where like JBL and Corey Graves yelled at each other, uh, PTI style, pardon the interruption style. That show at least had some natural feeling. And granted, that was only talking about WWE. This was just so forced and eye rolling and it made for a really bad watch. And does that mean now that I'm probably never going to be on it? Yeah, probably. Sorry, I'm allowed to speak my piece. If you want me to come on and tell you that it sucks, I'll do that. Uh, But it wasn't very good. It wasn't entertaining. And the match, the main event, Jacob Fett too against, I believe, Alex Hammerstone. They did a title change. So I don't know if they're merging the titles or now the guy's a double champion. It was okay. Um, I've heard people talk about Jacob Fett too having great matches. If he has in the past, and I'm sure he has, that wasn't one of them. It was a show that, for a debut episode when you're really trying to strike while the iron's hot in this growing landscape of professional wrestling programming, I thought it was a big miss. Maybe it'll get better. In fact, it probably will get a little bit better, but I don't know that I'll be watching. So that's it uh, from this edition of the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast, the 22 twos episode homage there to Sean Carter. I appreciate everyone listening as always. A little bit of a reminder, once again, what our schedule is going to be looking like going forward. We will be back on Tuesday with our next WWE show. It will be a Crown Jewel Blood Money in the Sand 6 Ultimate Preview. We will come back on Wednesday and talk AEW Dynamite, Rampage, and NXT all on one show. 
And then Thursday, as soon as WWE Crown Jewel goes off the air, Thursday afternoon, we will have a very special instant analysis podcast because the show starts at noon Eastern here in these United States. Uh, we will not be doing a live Twitter Spaces show ahead of time. I apologize if uh, anyone was really looking forward to that. We will do it before every other major pay-per-view. It just doesn't work next week. So that's it. Uh, a reminder, folks, the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast, as always, is all about So please do not forget. Stop being marks for yourselves and don't have to be a mark for me. Head on over to Apple Podcasts. Drop those five-star ratings and reviews. Tell people why you love Getting Over. Tell them why they should listen, why they should subscribe. Again, 30 to 90 seconds of your day. This is a free show. That's our payment. Please leave a five-star review and tell people why they should listen. That's all I'm really asking. And if you use a a system other than Apple Podcasts that allows you to leave reviews, whether it's Google Podcasts, Spotify, I don't even know if you can leave reviews, anything else, please hit those five stars. Please tell them that getting over is all about the five. Also, please do not forget to follow us on Twitter at GettingOverCast. Not only do we release every episode of the show, we tell you when it's live. We tweet live during all the major programs. And we, of course, do those pre- and post polls for pay-per-views, and we will have one of those coming up this Thursday for Blood Money and Sand So, folks, thank you all for listening to the latest edition of the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. I am just going to leave you with three final words. Bye for now.